Good evening, everyone. Welcome to our Bible Ponder for this week. We're continuing our series looking at the epistle to the Philippians written by the Apostle Paul. Um, the first few weeks we looked at first an introduction to the letter as a whole. We talked a bit about the historical city of Philippi, and we read from the book of Acts when Paul um, comes to Philippi for the first time and makes a few converts and founds the church there. And so this letter is going back to that church. So a couple weeks ago, we looked at chapter one and then chapter two last week. So we're going to be looking in chapter three this week. And so far, what Paul has built in terms of theme is he's talked a lot about humility and how we live as Christians, but especially he's used kind of language of citizenship. And so if you remember from the first couple, if you haven't watched them, uh, feel free to go back and, and catch up on those. But we talked a bit about how Philippi is a Roman colony, which is a special status sort of city that granted privileges. And it also gave them a lot of um, ties to Rome. And so if you were a citizen of Philippi, you are automatically a citizen in Rome, even if you've never been to Rome. And so there's a lot for the Philippians to do with their Romanness, more so than maybe some other places in the Roman Empire, especially as you move further east towards um, Judea and Jerusalem and the places where our story sort of begins, the story of Jesus begins. So as we're moving further west, this Romanness becomes more important almost than the Jewishness of sort of previous texts. And we had in chapter two, the Christ hymn and this ultimate example of humility where Jesus as God incarnate did not consider his divinity, his godness, something to be exploited for power, but chose humility even up to death. And then he did some housekeeping, talking about Timothy and Epaphroditus, who's going to carry this letter back to the Philippian church. And now we get sort of a, a change in tone to some other traditional kind of letter elements in chapter three, and Paul's going to go back to this idea of humility and being willing to suffer on behalf of Jesus. So we'll go through it and I'll, and I'll read it again, and um, we will uh, comment as we go, and then we'll get to chapter four next week. Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. So right off the bat, he's going in for a certain group, and he says those dogs. And that is a common insult in the ancient world in general. It was just an insult that would have been thrown about. But especially for who he's talking about, those mutilators of the flesh. And then he goes on, for it is we who are the circumcision. So that gives us a clue who he's talking about. He's talking about Jews, or specifically the, the Jews, the specific Jews that were being antagonistic to the Christians, saying, you are not doing this properly. You need to follow the law and you need to be circumcised. Now, one of the interesting things about this group is they're probably a group who are following Paul and not native to Philippi. And we know this for one because it's a Roman colony, it's further away from um, Israel and Jerusalem. And um, letter, things in the letter, we talked about how there's not really any um, specific Old Testament quotes other than a close one in chapter 2. But also in Acts that we read in our first week in this series, when Paul goes to Philippi, his, his normal system was to 
go to the synagogue and he would start there and he would talk to the local Jewish people and say, hey, I found the Messiah. And he would tell them about Jesus. When he gets to Philippi, he doesn't go to the synagogue because there is no synagogue. So there were likely very few Jews at all in Philippi. He goes out outside the city to the river where he meets Lydia, the dealer at Purple Cloth. And that's where he begins his ministry in Philippi. So not at a synagogue, which would, he would have done in normal circumstances. So there's not a huge Jewish population in Philippi at all. So these mutilators of the flesh, um, these dogs are the, the Jewish people who are following Paul and, and being antagonistic. He says in verse three, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. So he shifts, does that same shift that um, we get also from Jesus, that it's not about a physical sign, it's not about circumcision as a physical thing, but it's about um, what is in your heart and our true worship of God. So he is actually claiming them this title of, of we are the proper followers of God. He says, and now we have another example of humility, but this time he's going to use himself. And it's, it would have been a, a common letter writing tactic and rhetorical tactic to set yourself up in an argument and maybe even boost yourself up to say, my opponent might be this sort of person, but I am this sort of person. But we'll watch how Paul inverts that sort of structure. He says, if anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, which was the proper time to be circumcised, not um, someone who was a proselyte or someone who was converted to Judaism later who would have had a lower status than him. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. He can trace his lineage all the way back to a specific tribe. Some couldn't anymore. A Hebrew of Hebrews. And that could mean that he's from a specific part of the Holy Land, not from one of the places in the diaspora out in Turkey or Greece or any of these places. It could also mean that he actually does speak Hebrew and can read and write Hebrew um, as opposed to just Aramaic or something else. It, Hebrew had, had died out a lot for a lot of common people. Um, they spoke Aramaic, they wrote in Aramaic, and so not everyone could actually read the, the scrolls of the Hebrew Bible because they were in Hebrew. And so Paul is saying, I can speak Hebrew. In regards to the law, a Pharisee, so not just a good Jew, but someone who followed the law as well as they could, really, really um, strong um, sense of, of following the law, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness in the law, faultless. So in all of these old ways of thinking, he is the ultimate person in many ways. He has got everything in place from where he was born and to whom he was born and what happened after he was born, even when he had no ability to control those things, he has them in place. But then he inverts that. He's not setting himself up as great. It's the same kind of humility theme. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Remember, he is in prison at this point. I consider them rubbish 
that I may gain Christ. And this is a fun word, and you've probably heard this in a sermon at some point, but that word for rubbish is about as close as you'll get to the Bible having a swear word. It is the word skubalon, and it is rubbish, filth, dung, garbage, all of those things. And he's um, he's so vehement about this that he, he's using a really strong word there says, I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Now, there's a lot in that that we need to unpack. And on the surface, it goes by pretty quickly, but all of that verse there, it is basically shorthand for um, a huge long argument that he makes in the letter to the Romans. Um, the the book of Romans is this, um, some call it Paul's magnum opus, and most of the letter is his argument of moving away from the law and a righteousness under the law to a righteousness through faith and grace through faith. And so Romans is where he unpacks a lot of that. But what we see here is, again, this, this setup of under the law, what was happening in Paul's view was that you were achieving a righteousness, but it was only your own righteousness. You would follow the letters of the law. You would do all of these things. And it was only for yourself. It was only making you comparing to other people. And that true righteousness or a state of righteousness, not just... Um, an achievement, not an earned, an earned thing, not something that you can um, gain through what you do, but that righteousness is given to you by God through faith. And then, um, so, so that's a big shift for him, especially as someone who had so much to lose in, in accepting this new system. He had everything. Uh, it's really hard to accept a, a complete change in how you view the world when you have a lot to lose. In the same way that for Jesus, when he speaks to the rich young ruler, he says, go and sell everything and give it to the poor. For someone who owns nothing but a pair of shoes, that, that doesn't mean much. But to someone who had great wealth, as the rich young ruler did, he went away sad because he has a lot to lose in this change of system. And Paul has a lot to lose, but what he's saying is, I'm happy to lose it all because none of it was gaining me anything other than my own sense of self-importance, essentially, to, to boil it down really to, to its base. He says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to obtain the resurrection of the dead. So again, he's talking similarly to in chapter one, how he sees his own suffering and his own eventual martyrdom as um, somehow sharing in Jesus' own suffering and what happens to Jesus. And so it's, it's not just that he's doing it for a cause, but that the actual suffering, the actual death is bringing him closer to Jesus. But then he, he shifts again, and he's going to move into a metaphor here. And this is, again, common kind of ancient letter writing sort of thing to say, I'm not perfect. And that was common for sages and philosophers of the time who were um, engaging and sort of um, speaking about morals and things. Like, I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect, but I'm working on it. And that's what Paul does here in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained all this, he says, or have already been made perfect, 
But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, this athletic metaphor of the race, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take a view of such things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join with others in following my example, brothers and sisters, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. Again, this sort of idea of humility, not self-importance, not striving for greatness, but striving for humility and a servant attitude. For as I have often told you before and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And that's a, a common idea and a common way to talk about um, people of the day. It was not just Paul or just Christians who would talk about someone's God being their stomach. Gluttony was, was a, a huge thing for especially the wealthy in the Roman Empire. And not even just gluttony specifically and eating a lot um, in terms of stomach there, but just you are ruled by your passions and and philosophers and sages would talk about being ruled by your passions and how you're supposed to get a rein on those and for the Pharisees and for especially those who were really zealous at following the law and the Jewish faith they prided themselves on following the law being a way towards reining in those passions so for him to talk about his opponents in such a way that their god is their stomach is is to poke at a particularly sore bit where they thought that they were really reigning in those those passions and those um, desires that ruled them. And he's saying, no, 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 your, your God is your stomach. And he says, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. And here it's important again to download that um, uh, colony sort of talk about Philippi. We had it in chapter one. He says, live as citizens, live as good citizens. And here again, our citizenship is in heaven. And for this Roman colony and for these Roman citizens, that's really an important idea. Our citizenship is in heaven, not in Rome. And we eagerly await a savior. And that's not just theological language. That's not just language of um, Christianity or Judaism. Um, there were many people who were called saviors, and especially for the Romans, it would have been um, other gods or even Caesars themselves would have been called the savior. And so he says, you, our citizenship is in heaven and we await a savior from heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ. Not Caesar, not a pagan idol, none of those things, but the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, remember the Christ in chapter 2, Everything under his control, he will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. And that's similar talk to him wanting to attain the resurrection back in verse 11, to attain the resurrection from the dead. He envisions the resurrection that comes as a transformation of our bodies into something new and something almost like Jesus's body that he had after his resurrection, where he retained his scars, but he was still able to appear and disappear and, and he was changed he was different but he had a body he had something physical 
And so Paul is now encouraging the Philippian Christians and therefore us to um, endure and to to have this humility and to work in all of these things in order to um, look forward to a transformation of our own bodies. And then we'll we'll read that first verse of chapter four because it does seem to, to naturally go with what's before it. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Again, this thread of humility, of of being willing to go through suffering and death and everything and give all of it up, all that we have that makes us feel self-important and fuels our gluttonous desires and all of those things, Paul is saying, throw that aside and seek Jesus. So that's where he's going. We'll get to the rest of chapter four next week and kind of the wrapping up of the letter. We'll see some more kind of typical ancient letter writing um, style from Paul. But we're seeing this thread of humility and these examples of humility, even um, himself having given up his uh, lofty status in his previous life. So that's Philippians 3. We'll finish it up next week, and then we'll get to a discussion um, the following week. So thanks for watching, and thanks for joining us again this week. Bye-bye.